Live Wild's Connection Matters podcast, bringing together heart-centered, nature-connected, curious people who share the inquiry, how can we create a connected and meaningful way of living that brings more health, happiness and growth to our world? My name is Leona Johnson and I am your host. Well, hello, beautiful humans, and welcome to episode 30 of Connection Matters podcast. How are you today? I hope you're well. I'm very well. The sun is shining through the windows. The leaves are turning on the trees. There's a breeze. There's a nice sound of birds singing in the background. And today I am bringing you an episode with John Young and Luby McNamara. You might find me um, gushing a little bit at the start of the episode because I'm so pleased to be speaking with them both, these visionary change makers that they are who have impacted the uh, Nature Connection world like no other. So um, yeah, really excited to bring that to you. I won't read their bios because they do a really good job of telling you about their origins and stories themselves during the conversation, but... I will mention their upcoming SEED course, the CEED, Cultural Emergence Effective Design course that is open for enrolment now. It's in a few weeks time and it's a six weeks online training with both John and Luby. So a really fab way of getting into the world of cultural emergence and seeing what that's all about. And if you're interested, just check out the links in the show notes. Um, Also, I'm also excited to announce that I will be co-facilitating with Luby this uh, week-long peace course next year, Peace, Empowerment and Cultural Emergence, in August at Applewood, which is where Luby lives. It's a beautiful permaculture homestead that I was lucky enough to spend some time on this summer. And um, yeah, it's all set up for Nature Connection courses and events, and it would be really great to work with some of you next year if you are interested in working with both of us uh, and another facilitator as well Regina so yeah do check out the links to that and I'll look forward to meeting some of you I hope also if you're new to the podcast then welcome 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 thank you for joining us and I hope that you like it if you do do hit subscribe um, that little button below which, whichever on whichever app that you're listening to because that means you'll get all of the next episodes straight into your inbox and um, you'll get to hear more great conversations we've got some really good ones lined up and if you any of you like the podcast and haven't already it's really good for us if you leave a comment on apple iTunes or um, you know in the comments of the different apps so that people know what this is about and how it impacts your lives and and I also love to hear that so if you have any feedback ever then do contact us at connectionmatterspodcast at livewild.org.uk and further to that um, you can also subscribe to the Connection Matters podcast mailing list for any updates and new episodes and offerings so um, just go to www.livewild.org.uk forward slash Connection Matters podcast and uh, finally um, if you like what we're doing and you're in a position to support us then do hop over to patreon.com forward slash connection matters podcast where you can sign up for as little as three pounds a month um, and that really supports us thank you to all of those who already support us 
we couldn't do it without you so thank you and this month for our patreon supporters luby has offered a free pdf of the eight shields mandala which is a beautiful image to print out and stick up over your desk as i have right here um, for inspiration on a daily basis so without further ado i will introduce john young and luby mcnamara enjoy Welcome, John and Luby. Thank you so much for joining us at Connection Matters Podcast. How are you today? Doing great. Thank you. Yeah, likewise. I'm very happy to be here with both of you. I, um, I'm going to start actually by sharing my gratitude for both of you because actually um, through the work that you've done, both of you, um, my life has been completely different to how it ever would have been. And I've got to say, you know, Luby, when your book People and Permaculture came out, my son had just been born. I had left social work, um, which had been my profession, and I was really looking for something. Um, I'd done my training with Starhawk, uh, my permaculture design course, and I was really looking for something that married, you know, my need for active um, participation in um, changing the way we lived, but also nurturing myself and myself as a new mother and a parent now and, and a way of wanting to be different in the world. And, and your book was transformational and, and all the work that you've done ever since then, I've been watching and, and, and following and so inspiring and, and really important it feels for the world. And John, um, <laughs> When I came across The Art of Mentoring, it was through a friend, Laura McNally, who sadly uh, passed away three years ago. But she she came to me like this vision of connection, all of the attributes of connection, fully alive, so beautiful and so passionate. Having been to a number of The Art of Mentorings in the UK, she was at the first ever, uh, I think, um, and, and in Ireland and Scotland and wherever they were and she she inspired me to to jump on to this eight shields community bandwagon and ever since then I've not looked back the business that I run um, I'm part of live wild is is fully informed by the eight shields and all of the courses and events and um, things we do are, are with an eight shields foundation and and my parenting in fact everything about the way I I live and and am is is just hugely affected every day by the the wisdom that's come through from the model that you know that you've collated from all of the different traditions that you've worked with from around the world and um and I just I owe a massive debt of gratitude to both of you and to all of those who've supported you in getting to this point in the work that you've done and the way that you've showed up for the world. Um, so yeah, I feel a bit tearful actually saying that. I'm just realizing how how significant it is to have you both here. Yeah, well, thank you, Leona, for sharing that because you know, I love the when you're writing a book, there's endless and definitely endless hours of being shut in a room by yourself um, with words and drafts and paper, you know, carpet of paperwork. And you, you do it with the hope that someone will feel inspired and that it will be a turning point in someone's life, but you never really know. So it is, um, yeah, it's, it's just really lovely to hear that it had uh, 
a big impact on you, a big positive impact on you. So thanks for sharing that. Mm, you're welcome. And um, so I'd love, I mean, that's the, I had so many, I have so many gratitudes to share at the moment, you know, everything from the, 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 the fullness of the gushing waterfall this morning that really helped me to, to prepare for this and, and um, for the joy of my children having just experienced a beautiful transformational rite of passage event that they'd been to at the Steiner Olympics and uh, the the appreciation that I'm here in a, a warm home and uh, yeah feeling fed and nourished and safe and uh, and fully alive and and so many others but I'd love to hear what your gratitudes are today as well so um, maybe over to you John if you would mind wouldn't mind sharing some gratitude today mm, thank you yeah well thanks for having having us Leona really nice to hear our our work our lives has have woven together and brought good things to all of us and that that's one thing i'm grateful for that we've been able to do good things and meet wonderful people all over the world and you know just see things that give us hope in challenging times um i'm really grateful for that and right now i'm standing here um on the east side of my house in california where I live, the Santa Cruz Mountains, just a little bit from the Pacific Ocean, a little bit um, north and west of Santa Cruz proper. And um, you live in about 2,000 feet elevation. And here the the sky is very, very clear right now. And it's, you know, there's still a few tree crickets singing. So it's it looks like night. But in the east, it's silver. And there's a beautiful, beautiful little sliver of a moon right there, just, just over where the sun's going to rise. And it's just so gorgeous the way it's, it's, it's just there, you know, shining its light, little fingernail of a moonlight here. And it just fills me with such a good feeling to look at the moon. Um, and also to see the stars up above me, knowing that just in a little while, even before we're done here with this, this conversation, it'll be daylight, you know, so mm. it's a special time, magic time to be, to be here. And, um, just a little while ago, I heard uh, a pair of um, western screech owls calling in the dark amongst the tree crickets, and that, that was very lovely. And so it's yeah, grateful to be here with with you both, and really thankful that you invited us to have this conversation, Leona. And yeah, always grateful to spend time with Luby. We we spend a lot of time communicating across the the mad world <laughs> over the internet and gratitude for the internet that allows us to do this as well. And yeah, that's good for me. Mm, thank you. And Luby. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. I'm grateful for this time of year, which is a time of transformation and change and letting go and unexpectedness. And it's always, you know, when there's just, a moment of sunshine it's like yay great this is such a gift to get the to get the sunshine and then when the rain comes it's like okay listen listening to the rain from the inside and it sounding like music and just yeah grateful for the colors and this opportunity to slow down as well I'm grateful for that mm. Yeah, thank you. Mm, thank you. Thank you both. So many of the podcasts that we've done for this series have been with people who have 
been informed by or inspired by or are doing work that's very similar to the work that's inspired by the eight shields um, and the art of mentoring. But but as yet, we've never spoken to you, John, um, um, who, as the founder of the, the eight shields um, or one of the founders, you know, has done so much work to to bring together this this these ways of being so that we can go on in the world and, and hopefully live in, in better ways. And I'd, I'd love it if you would just maybe give us a little bit of a background and a foundation of what is, what is that you do, where have you come from and, and what is the eight shields? Yeah, well, um, that's a great question. It could take days to answer that question. <laughs> <laughs> so I'll find a, a short, a short uh, answer. Um, I started um, researching in 1979 a question that really basically has been alive for me this whole time. So, you know, it's a question that's like a doorway into another universe, right? Uh, It was like a hidden door, hidden in plain view. And I opened that door and went through it. And then my whole life has been about this question, really. Um, But it's because when I was um, a, a boy, I had this experience that went back and forth between staying with my grandmother on my father's side or staying with my grandmother and great aunt on my mother's side and, you know, be there for a couple of days for a weekend, or sometimes they'd come and stay at our house and look after my sister, Kim and myself, you know, while my parents were away. And so I would have these moments where when I was with these elders, both of them had held on to some rich traditions from their country. My grandmother on my father's side came from Ireland, and my uh, great aunt was born in Poland. English was definitely her second language. And um, they were both really connected to nature and really spiritual, but in very different ways. But there was something that both my sister and I noticed that when we were with them, and the other adults were not around, you know, in other words, our parents, um, there was a whole different vibe going on. And, you know, I would just call the vibe now looking back on it that, you know, they were still in connection. You know, they both, both sides of the family had grown up farming and living close to the land, subsistence and hunting and trapping and fishing and clamming and crabbing and all that fun stuff. Um, and, you know, they were really, really salt to the earth people. So, there's kind of a magical world that was happening. And then when we went back home to our isolated nuclear suburban family life, it felt really different. You know, it felt jarring. And I think from a young age, I was kind of grappling with, you know, well, I wish I could just spend all my time with them, but I love my mom and dad and I love being with them, but it's so different. Like, you know, like already being aware of something being on in the field and something being off in the field. And that's the best way I can put it. Because of course, in, in those days, I probably wasn't conscious of, of it. It was just a sense that I had. Um, and then when I was 10, I met my mentor, Tom Brown. Um, and I spent you know eight years with him in a very powerful, deeply connective relationship. And so I had these three powerful connection forces in my life. And then I'd had the rest of my suburban life which was really different and jarring and often hurtful um, and confusing, you know, and then I'd get back with, you know, any one of those three and it would feel really rooted and really deep and really meaningful. And I felt alive and I felt wonderful. So 
you know, I could see, you know, when I was 19 and began my research and I was at university, I started to look at this question, you know, why are some groups of people? Because I was thinking about it like that at the time, you know, because to be with the paternal grandparents, that was a group of people. To be with the maternal grandparents and the extended, all the aunties that were in there, great aunts, there was four sisters that all lived right near each other. <clears throat> um, you know, that was connected. And then when I was with Tom and some of the other young people that he was mentoring at the time, that felt really connective, you know, so there was like these groups where connection was strong. And then there was these groups where there was no connection whatsoever. And so I got to university and I said, why are some groups so connected and others not? And couldn't the, the connected field that I experienced growing up somehow inform that we could bring tools, that we could bring teachings, that we could bring simple activities that could enhance connection for those who didn't have that benefit. Uh, because it felt to me like if we could just get everyone connected, I think that they would take better care of themselves, each other, and the planet, you know, and I still, I know that to be true now, but, you know, that was my, kind of my theory or whatever, um, back in, in 1979. So I spent the next four years researching all the different kinds of connected cultures around the world that I could find access to. And my anthropology teachers were saying, oh, no, you have to focus on one kind of group, you know, because there's too many different kinds of cultures. So they made me pick a narrow track, which was hunter-gatherer nomads in sandy places, <laughs> mm -hmm. which was my choice, you know, but that mainly was because... Um, I had really been influenced by um, Tom Brown at that point, and his mentor was a hunter-gatherer nomad from, you know, Sandy and sometimes not Sandy Place, but, you know, the Apaches were known for their tracking culture, and that was how Tom was raised, and that's how he raised me. So I thought, all right, well, at least I have that lens, and I can compare it to what Tom did for me as a boy and see if I can find commonality among these hunter-gatherer nomads from sandy places. And that actually ended up being a very lucky um, nexus for me because uh, the more I discovered about the San Bushmen, the more intrigued I became because I was actually, you know, long before there were spreadsheets on computers, I was creating these charts and listing all the things that these various um, cultures were doing that we were no longer doing in modern times. And I wondered if they had something to do with connection. You know, for instance, gratitude, the way you started this podcast, you know, gratitude customs are all over the world. They're everywhere. And when you're in a healthy culture, you'll find that people take a moment to use that, that connection practice, which is sharing gratitude. Uh, it gets us here. It helps us remember why we're here. It puts us back in touch with what we care about, the people we love, the places we love, the things that make us happy, you know, and when we, sh when we share that together, it, it brings us into a good place, you know, um, and that, you know, that was, that's everywhere. That gratitude practice is really something I kept finding everywhere. So I was compiling practices that I suspected might influence connection in, in community. And it turned out that the Bushmen basically did all of the things that I was finding, like the, every time I looked in their column, their whole column was full, except when it came to warfare, they had nothing in their column around warfare. When it came to warfare, they ran away. <laughs> they ran <laughs> and hid. They were really good at running away and hiding. Um, but 
<clears throat> you know, that was very interesting to me. I'm like, oh, why is that? You know, why are they like, why do they have so many connection practices um, that they share with other cultures around the world? But it didn't come till much later in my research, you know, decades later that I came to understand that they were recognized uh, as the oldest culture on, on the planet, that actually they were descendant from the only humans that were alive at the time, Homo sapiens, on the planet over 200,000 years ago. And then they, you know, as ice receded in Africa, they made their way northward. And then from Africa, they spread around the world. And then all the genetic science came back and said, well, actually, you know, they are the descendants, the living descendants of the ancestors of all human beings just by the genes, you know. So every culture around the world, every person around the world has Bushman ancestors. So I thought, okay, well, that makes sense because in a way you could think of them as the cradle of connective culture, right? You talk, we talk about the cradle of civilization, right? I, I actually think it, it's, it might be partially the cradle, cradle of uncivilization, you know, um, what we call civilization that became the modern Western world has only gotten really good at one thing. It has a gold star for being very disconnected, you know, um, and it spread that around the world like Walmart, you know, uh, the modern Western pattern, which I don't even want to call it a culture because I think what I've learned about culture over the years is that a healthy culture is a system of invisible structures that actually help and support connection. You know, like the job of culture is to connect people and connect them to themselves, connect them to each other, connect them to the land, connect them to the ancestors and to the unborn generations, you know, this is what a really healthy culture does. It makes sure everybody is connected as often as possible. And when you spend time with the Bushmen, as I have over the last 10 years, um, you start to realize what it feels like to be swimming in a field of connection practices where everybody just grew up that way and they don't even know that there is another way. Like they take, I'm not saying they take it for granted, like they don't think it's important. They don't even know they're doing it because they all grew up that way uninterrupted. So you have this insanely powerful field of connection around you. When you come back home, even to people you love and who are your friends that you feel safe with, you can feel there's dimensions of connection missing because the, you know, everybody in that community, everybody in that culture, from the youngest to the oldest, they're all, you know, there's an unspoken agreement that they're there for connection and everybody wants to be happy and everyone needs to be happy. So let's make everybody happy kind of energy. And so you just feel incredibly connected when you're with them. So I know there's more that I can learn and more that we can do, but, you know, I created the art of mentoring as an idea um, in 1995 because I was really having a hard time getting modern Western adults to understand what it was that was causing the magic in the children and the children's programs that I was running at the time. And I needed to train staff and I needed to train elders and board members and advisors and, you know, people in the community to be supportive of the, of the programming. But every time I would try to teach them about it, they would default to their upbringing, the things that they learned in school and the way that they learned in school, which is very different. You know, connection is a different pathway than cognitive development. And, you know, they are, they are, you know, they, they're good dance partners, but they're not the same thing. There's a little overlap where those two different approaches um, meet, but really connection 
requires different approaches, a whole different context than, um, you know, cognitive training, you know, what we call learning. And, you know, when you're with the, the son Bushman, you see that they practice cognitive learning with their children and, and with each other. I mean, they, they're lifelong learners. They're super interested, always experimenting, always testing theories, always learning more. Um, you know, so there, these things are not, um, what's the word? It's not like you, you leave out one for the other. They're both important. But when you focus on connection and help connection to get strong first, then learning goes much easier, you know, so it, it has a beneficial effect on everything. So uh, I created the art of mentoring with the idea that if I could get, simulate, you know, the feeling that you get from a Bushman village by putting in, you know, the 64 cultural elements of connection, if you could put all these 64, you know, connection practices in for a week and have volunteers run those different connection practices, then we would be simulating that feeling of a healthy village based on connection. And, you know, it, it was an experiment that actually worked really well. And you might think, say that my goal was to get people to feel that so that when they went back home, they realized what was missing and then want to do something about it, you know, and that's, that's where the art of mentoring came from. And it evolved and got bigger and bigger and, you know, went all over the world, which is great. Um, and I'm really glad that that's happening and that it's helping so many people. But the, you know, the, the master brain child energy of this whole thing came in 1983 when I started to work with uh, an elder by the name of Ingwe, who came, who was born in South Africa and grown up with the Bushmen and then the Akamba in Kenya. When he saw my research and I laid it all out, he said, oh, yeah, this is exactly how I was raised by the Akamba and the Bushmen. And yeah, we need to, we need to, you know, translate this for modern people for sure. And he was the one who said, this needs to be organized according to the directions, not according to Roman numerals. As he said, you know, you can't take all this wonderful knowledge and all these practices, and organize it using Roman numerals, because the Romans are the reason we're in this trouble in the first place. <laughs> and, and at that point, I didn't know what he was talking about. I was like 23. And I, I knew he knew what he was talking about, but I didn't know what he was talking about. And he was an elder at that time. And so I said, well, how will we organize it by the directions? And he said, well, we can't base it on the Apaches. We can't base it on the Lakotas. We can't base it on our Irish ancestors. We cannot base it on the Akamba. We have to base it on something that is universal. And we decided, believe it or not, to use the XYZ axis, you know, the X being east to west and the Y being north to south. Um, and, you know, that north is the top of the page, you know, and and Z comes up and points to the sky and points down into the earth. He wanted to actually base it on math because everybody had done geometry uh, in modern times. So then I said, well, how will we give each of the directions meaning? He said, let's just go ask children what they feel at sunrise. And then let's go and then we'll ask them what they feel at midday and what do they feel at sunset? What do they feel? Well, they should be asleep at midnight, but the teenagers will know. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, we literally did that. You know, we first we spent about three years just gathering impressions from young people. Um, what was the feeling of those times a day? And that's how those archetypes got named. And originally it started with six shields because at that point we just were using X, Y and Z. And um, we just had this woman in Washington state who is an artist. Her name is Jan Wolf. She kept staring at 
this six shield diagram and she said, you know, something's missing. I'm like, what? She says, well, that Northwest to Southeast blank spot really bothers my visual artist sense. <laughs> Can't we draw another line in there and make it eight shields? And finally I relented and just drew the line. And then this other woman, Pam, she raises her hand and she says, what, what does that mean? <laughs> what are, what's the Northwest and the Southeast? I said, I have no idea. I just drew the line. You know, and then we just traveled around the world asking people what did they think these the meanings of these two things were, and eventually different communities contributed different parts to it. So, in a certain sense, you know, it's always been crowdsourced. You know, before that was popular. Um, <laughs> you know, so it's right to call me a co-founder because there were so many people who worked on Eight Shields back then, and it was just about recognizing that sunrise feels the way it feels and that it gives way to the mid-morning, which feels that way, which is the southeast and the south. The midday feels this way and the southwest feels that way. And, you know, and you can learn to design and, and run programs based on that. And there's so much wisdom in that because our nervous system has, well, gosh, millions of years of of recognition of sunrise, sunset, you know, midday, midnight. Um, the nervous system really is tuned into the subtle feelings of times of day. So when you when you organize and design according to that, things flow um, because that's what they do in nature. And our bodies still have memory of what it means to be natural and, and in nature. So, you know, I just started to test all these things and teach them to different people in different communities and, you know, say, hey, I, I don't know if this is going to work or not, but here, try this, you know, and and the more people went out and tried these things and came back and reported them, we made little adjustments. We kept iterating and iterating and iterating, you know, from 1983 onward. And 95, we had a bundle that we could teach to adults. And, um, yeah, that's, that's kind of the story in a nutshell. Um, I'm leaving a few details out, but we'll, I think well, let's call it good there for now. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that's a, a very succinct way of uh, explaining, yeah, what is, a, a, yeah, whole life and many people's whole lives of experience that have come to, to create it. And, and I guess I'm one of the, one of the people who've come to it and experienced it and felt it in my body in such a visceral way. The way I became involved was that Laura McNally, who uh, introduced me to the Eight Shields, she'd been and she came and she then came back and taught me and the little group of us, there were five of us who were setting up our business, how to uh, hold an event <laughs> by giving us a role rather than trying to teach us anything. She just gave us a role and we created events, um, skill shares for other outdoor leaders. They were at first and, um, and people would come to these events and they were only four hours, you know, maybe two till till six or something on a Sunday and people would come and, and they would, they would be in tears, you know, even after the first circle, definitely by the end <laughs> from doing simple things that we, that we incorporated into the, the model. And, mm. and so for me, it was like, what, what is this? You know, we're not doing something that's so different, but there is something about the way that this is happening that is causing people to feel so connected and grounded and safe that they're able to allow their tears in this circle with a bunch of strangers. And um, it was beautiful and, and it felt um, 
it felt very magical it, it it brought lots of people to us and who wanted to know more and and we went on then to 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 learn more and 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 delve deeper into what was what was actually happening so that we were able to incorporate it elsewhere but it's not rocket science is it you know the, the things that are incorporated are are so simple that you sometimes overlook them and think that they're not important but then when you're not incorporating an element of connection you feel it you really know it and then and then you know the difference so um yeah i just wanted to tell that little story because it felt for me um i came in it came in at it from a sort of sideways view you know experiencing it as it was happening and then wanting to know more because how could we not want to create and and bring about that level and depth of connection in life yeah and well you know like it's like what you just said i just go back to the the way my story started right with my grandmothers right Mm -hmm. they didn't know that they were holding on to those things right they just grew up that way with their grandmothers and, you know, like my parents, well-meaning people, right? Loving people, caring parents, but didn't hold on to those things because they didn't seem important. Oh, that's what grandma does, or that's what my mother used to do. But it somehow wasn't important anymore because of what economics and career, right? Mm-hmm. And all oh, the kids have to go to, to school and, and then go to college so they can have careers, very different focus, you know, whereas you, you might call my, my grandparents' generation uneducated, right? Because they, they didn't go to college. Um, they didn't finish high school, you know, on either side there. But yet they held on to these very simple practices that cultivated love and connection in the family, right? Mm-hmm. And somehow that stuff just falls off the cart one generation away, you know? Mm. Um and, you know, and that's, that's it. Like you said, it's not rocket science. It's very, very simple. And it's like the body remembers. So you can give people a role and somehow they magically know what to do, even though their head is saying, give me the user's manual. Give me, <laughs> give me the instruction book. I need to know how to do this role. You just gave me this role east. What does that mean? <laughs> well, it means sunrise, welcoming. I don't know how to do that. Yes, you do. Just do it. You know, and then people figure yeah. it out. Yeah. You know? Yeah, it's totally magical. Yeah. And so simple. Like you said, it is is so not rocket science. Yeah. But gratitude for the grandmothers that kept this going, mm. that it could make it to us today. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And so, Luby, I what I saw when I saw your book, People in Permaculture, was a whole combination of things that I'd been interested in, things like the work that reconnects, nonviolent communication, plans about how we can design in order to, um, you know, live well ourselves so that we then could live well in community. And so there was... there's obviously, which is why I I guess you're both here and working together, so much crossover. Um, But how did you come about gathering that all of those things and what was it that motivated you to 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 be able to sort of gain such a um, breadth of influences it was like I see um, I see your book like a basket that's got loads of beautiful things that have been collected and then um, and then interpreted by yourself and your your wisdom what was it that brought you to that point Mm. well 
when I first came to permaculture in 99, um, I was just, it, it had a visceral embodied effect on me. It was not the, the learning that, that inspired me. It was the community and the co-creation and the fun and the, the shifting of the paradigm of teacher knows it all once you've, you know, just regurgitate what you're, what you've been taught. And maybe when you're high enough up the academic ladder, you can have your own thoughts, but not yet. Mm-hmm. And, that, and it just completely upended that paradigm into, well, we're in quite a complex situation here. There's many challenges. We need to all work together. We don't have the solutions, but maybe maybe together we can create the solutions and maybe we can have fun and connection on that journey. And those were the things that really kept me um, inspired by permaculture and made me want to carry it on. Uh, You know, I was very much aware that there was more to permaculture than growing food um that that's one part of it that can be very empowering and lovely to eat your own food and uh, you know shift away from the global systems of food production um but there's much more to it and there's more to it that we can respond to on any level in our own personal lives or school you know education systems healthcare you know all the bigger systems that we're part of as well and so I was really inspired by thinking, well, how can we share the tools wider? And, you know, as you've said, it's not rocket science. And it's like actually looking after the planet isn't rocket science either. We have the tools available to us, but it's, you know, there's the limit is people and how we respond to those challenges and what we give priorities to you know so that we actually prioritize looking after the planet and not polluting etc etc so I was really sort of inspired by thinking well how do we make permaculture tools relevant to everyone into different different ways so how can we use it for our own personal health how can we use it to be effective in our work how can we use it in our parenting um all these different ways so i i then went on a sort of journey to find different tools to bring into the process and really sort of what was what crossed my path in the two years that i was writing it it was like see work the reconnects course locally and go off to that or transition conference and go off to that to to gather some wisdom and to um learn from the collective wisdom about how do we uh, as people get on better with each other how do we um look after ourselves better and so then taking that further into seeing permaculture as permanent culture but then what does that really mean and that that's where after my book came out where our mutual friend Ruth Corey connected John and I up and said well okay John you've um you've got tools that will be really useful for Luby and permaculture and all the deep nature connection and bringing a bit more 
ritual and sacredness into permaculture and how we connect with the land and um and then she saw that there was a bit of structure and design uh be useful in John's work and um and then we set out on a path of collaboration and uh evolving looking at where the overlap is and and also where do we stretch into what's what could emerge out of the relationship that is new and exciting and that's where the cultural emergence toolkit has um, come from our collaboration mm. and th- that word well th- that phrase cultural emergence it feels so it's just such a good phrase for now because I, I don't think that there's anybody there's very few people who wouldn't say that we really need to to change we need really need to yeah. to live differently we really need to be able to understand a little bit about what has got us here but and and how to heal from that but also how do we move forwards how do we change how do we break those patterns that keep us doing the same or worse than we we did before because you know like mm. as you said john it's not it wasn't so long ago your your grandparents um generations who still had uh, a sense of connection i'm sure there were some woundings there too already but but there there was still something that was held and yet since then we seem to have just become more and more disconnected as a culture as uh, certainly the western culture but all around the world because we've been we've been taken by the grip of uh, consumerism and the 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 shiny the shiny lights and um pull of of capitalism if we can call it that and uh, and all of the other things that are going on in the world right now and and particularly right now in the time um of the biggest change that i think humankind has ever known um in terms of you know covid and the things we've had to face about the way we live and the things that have been challenged in us um you know what what becomes important whenever you spend a long time alone or in isolation with family is how important culture yeah. and community is to us um so yeah I, re- I really love the word cultural emergence it brings me hope even that the term exists <laughs> so thank yeah. you for um, bringing that about well i think we're you know when we when we when it first came about sort of in 2016 so a few years ago it was still sort of fairly a new idea and concept to, to people but then in the last uh you know 18 months actually people have this embodied experience of going through this emergent process and collectively so you know there's individually we might have done you know gone through a, a grieving journey or moving house or you know divorce or some sort of transitional process that we've been through but we haven't necessarily done that in our you know in our lifetimes collectively and so now everyone's got this really embodied understanding of what an emergent process is and when you say to someone now pattern disruption it's like oh yeah we know what pattern disruption is whereas maybe two years ago they'd be like what do you mean pattern disruption? Mm. What's that What's that about? But now everyone knows full well what pattern disruption is. Um, and, and, uh, but we don't necessarily know yet 
what that's leading us to mm-hmm. collectively. So, well, you know, it is we're still in that process it's like uh, you know the cake is still in the oven mm-hmm. we're not quite sure you know we're still arguing do we open the door do we get it out do we not um but we're still in a process mm. um and we're not quite and we probably will be for quite a while because there's all these converging challenges that even when we have moved through covid there will be more challenges that need um more layers that need to come off in order for us to move forward into this place of regeneration, that humanity moves into a place of regeneration. Yeah. So, you know, given the times that we're in, are there enough of us? Are there enough people who have enough of the skills that are needed in order to shift, you know, I'm sort of directing this to you, John, because I know you've been doing this work for so long. You must be aware of communities all around the world who have um, adopted the Eight Shields model or aware of communities who are doing other deep connect, deeply connective work. But are there enough of us? I'd love to know, you know, some of the, the things that are going on, you know, because sometimes <laughs> you feel like you're a little bit isolated and alone. And, that, and that's the thing that I've, I hear time and time again. You know, we're all trying and we're feeling we've got this hope and we hold it. But is faith enough? What's going on that actually we, we know is happening uh-huh. that can actually help? <laughs> well, um, is there enough of us? Well, I, I think that's what gets me up in the morning, <laughs> right? Uh, there's got to be more of us. Um, but you know, it's really interesting how you know. I, I think of my friend Kurt, um, who you know we've become great friends over the years, uh, over the last twenty years. But he started out um, as a um, you know mentoring client of mine, and he was basically telling me that. Okay, well, you know, when I have my um, perfect life, I will be a luthier. I'll make guitars and I'll live in a beautiful countryside where my sit spot's right outside my door. My wife and myself and my dog will be happy living our dream, you know, connecting to nature and all this sort of thing. And I said, well, Kurt, um, does that mean you're going to wait until you retire before you actually set out on this journey of connection for yourself? <laughs> well, yeah, you know, I, I have to leave for work and it's dark in the morning when I leave and it's dark when I get home. So I don't get to go to my sit spot. I'm like, so why did you exactly hire me to, as a mentor? Because <laughs> it sounds to me like I have, you have to call me back when you retire. When will that be? <laughs> you know, because he was living in a town and he was working for the Canadian government, you know, in the... Um, uh, the, the the division in British Columbia that is looking after the stuff that's coming in through the airports and the shipping ports, you know, and across the border, very bureaucratic office situation, you know, and all that and miserable at work and not able to go to his sit spot except on the weekends. But then he's hanging out with his wife and, you know, they've got to catch up and do the things around the house. So I, I finally said, <clears throat> well, it sounds to me like you spend most of your, the best part of your life you know, Monday to Friday in an office situation with a bunch of people. And he said, yeah, that's like the bane of my existence. And I'm like, well, what if instead of thinking about it like that, you, aren't you a manager? Yeah, I'm a manager. I'm like, well, can't you like sneak in some connection practices, (laughs) you know, and Mm -hmm. make it more fun to be with these people? Oh, it'll never work, you know? Well, he, 
got over his resistance. And over the next two years, he slowly but surely transformed his whole office culture. And everybody was giving gratitude at meetings. Everyone was talking about their nature experiences. All of a sudden, he was much happier, right? And so he changed a whole division of the Canadian government and created this beautiful culture there. And then instead of getting fired for doing something different, he got promoted to bring this approach to all these offices around the entire you know, country of Canada. You know, so one person can do a lot, mm. you know, and it, and I, I think what happens with us is that we, <clears throat> we all feel like, <laughs> you know, that's that saying, I don't know where it came from, but I've seen it and heard it so many times over the years. You know, we are the sum total of the five people we spend the most time with. <laughs> Have you heard that? That mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. was making me laugh because for the last 18 months during, uh, you know, this COVID time, I've, I've been with my, uh, so now I'm, I'm my 12 year old boy. I'm my 14 year old daughter. <laughs> I'm my partner, Sarah, and I'm two cats, uh, you know, so, <laughs> you know, we, I think we start to think that, oh, you know, we have to have the perfect scenario at home. Um, we have to have everything perfect. You know, like Kurt was saying, like, oh, when everything is right, it'll look like this. Right. Mm-hmm. But we can make amazing progress with little changes. Um, and, you know, I've had a terrific 18 months. I've got to spend so much time outside sitting and watching nature, getting to know all the birds that live around my house on a first name basis, <laughs> you know, you know, just so much time just being outside because, okay, I'm going to do I'm on this podcast with you all right now. I've been outside the whole time um, watching mm-hmm. night turn today and watching my friends wake up and hearing the jays calling from where I know where they sleep, you know, and all those sorts of things. You know, these connection um, things are really right outside our door uh, and we can immerse ourselves in our local scenario that we can build these these relationships with, you know, the trees around us and the birds that live in our yard. And all of that will tune up our nervous system that will help us then be better at connecting with people, you know, so... For me, you know, these 18 months has shown me that, you know, we can do a lot through Zoom. And, and it seemed like a ridiculous idea 18 months ago, right? <laughs> and the entire Nature Connection movement was in a panic, like, oh, we can't do Nature Connection anymore because everyone is, you know, isolated. We can't teach anymore and all this. And I heard this from all quarters of the planet. And they came to me and they said, well, you've been teaching online for like the last 10 years is there anything you can teach us about it that might help us? You know, cause none of them wanted to do zoom. None of them wanted to do conference calls. Um, and Amy Hyatt and myself and Matt Goff, um, who have been running village talk for many years, which is just an online conference call once a week where we have a connective conversation. We, um, just ran this class and got everyone to be not, do not fear your computer. Do not fear your iPhone. You know, <laughs> these things can actually help you. And, you know, we did a, uh, several trainings for Nature Connection leaders and helped them transition online and, you know, taught them some basic things. And everybody's reporting, no, this this is actually working. And, you know, I've been doing so many classes with people all over the world in the last 18 months and having a terrific time. And they're all influencers, each in their own way. You know, if, if they're a parent, they're influencers, right? Um, mm. They don't have to be big influencers, but there's also a lot of people out there who are in positions like Kurt who actually can manage to influence um, 
and bring these simple, sweet little, you know, like if, if you bring in connection practices in a humble and gentle way, it's like you're bringing in a tray full of cookies for people, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. you, you're, you're not, if you, if you learn, you know, how to meet people where they're at, and that's kind of the one skill everybody has to learn, you know, like, let's meet each other where we're at and really try to get to know each other and see what each other's fears and concerns are. And then the solutions just pop right off the tray of cookies. Well, let's try this one with the macadamia nuts and the chocolate chips. This one's really good. And that might be gratitude Mm -hmm. at meetings, right? Or wiping off the road dust, Mm -hmm. you know, whatever it might be. Um, But these things can, can spread and influence really quickly. You know, there's entire networks now around the world that are just, I, I can't even keep up with all the cool stories that are happening. So I think that, I think that, I don't know, is there enough? I mean, how many people need these connection practices? How many people are already still got them because they, their grandmothers still hold them? There's still plenty of people in the world who have that, right? It's more the kind of modern urban and suburban people that have kind of lost it. Um, and they're looking for tools right now. You know, they mm. are the sum total of their two kids and their dog and you know, their, their partner. Right? <laughs> After 18 months, mm. they're like, I need more. Um, and society's not letting us do that just yet. You know, they're still doing serious lockdowns in Melbourne uh, as I speak. You know, I'm, I'm teaching online with mm-hmm. Claire Dunn in Melbourne, and I don't know, they've lost count of the numbers of hard lockdowns they've done. So I don't think this is going to go away anytime quick. Uh, I think we're going to have a slow transition out of this, and I hope it's a good one. But in the meantime, I feel like we have this tremendous opportunity to, you know, to reach people and to teach them some basic design skills like, you know, Luby and I, you know, when Ruth, our mutual friend, she said to me, you know, hey, Luby's got things you really need, John, and you've got things that Luby needs. You guys got to get together. You know, one of you is chocolate and one of you is almond butter. You're going to make a really delicious thing when you bring your work together. <laughs> and then, you know, Luby, Luby challenged me, you know, I hear I show up at, at Applewood and haven't really met her in person yet. And Luby, you said to me, well, John, you know, I could pull my string and say all the things I always do, and you could pull your string and say all the things that you always do. But what if we went into that space in between us and just see what emerges? And uh, we both were like, oh, that sounds really fun. You know, like a mad adventure. Mm. We have no idea what we're teaching. And <laughs> we gathered a bunch of people and we told them that that's our plan. <laughs> you know, <laughs> And out came this beautiful creativity through not only Luby and myself, but through everybody present. And it just really showed that if we give ourselves the space and time to slow down and just create a good container, you know, creativity flows through us. And it's mm-hmm. like the immune system of Mother Earth, you know, um, it touches our creativity. And when we come together and our hearts and minds collaborate in a safe container, you know, the solutions just present themselves and they're coming from, I don't know where, you know from that invisible place that affects our dreams and our visions and our intuition and synchronicity. And really, you know, what Luby and I learned to co-evolve together because we sort of pulled it out of the ethers together is cultural emergence. And when you put it together with really effective design tools, Luby's design web is brilliant. It completely changed my approach to everything. When we work with cultural emergence and effective design, you know, we can look at our lives and say, oh, here's where we can make these little changes and these little things that'll influence things for the better. So that, as Luby said in her share, 
you know, or I think Leona, you were observing, you know, like, how can we just make ourselves feel better first, right? And then from there, how can we spread that influence, you know, nourish and empower ourselves, and then challenge and awaken, you know, around us, right? And, and to use these principles of cultural emergence to know that we don't have to sit back and get bowled over by things, we actually have a choice. And, and we can literally design our way right out of this um, in small ways. Mm-hmm. And, you know, looking at the history of, of all these communities that have, have taken this, you know, this cardboard box full of, you know, Legos of, you know, all these eight shields, random things that are all shoved in this box. Uh, the stories of people creating change and influencing children all over the world are so inspiring. I, you know, I'm really convinced that it doesn't take much to cause transformation. All we have to do is remember that we want to. And I think, as Luby said, you know, this giant pattern disruption with many layers of concentric rings of pattern disruption has caused everyone to have to stop and reconsider everything, right? So it's a really ripe time to, you know, mm-hmm. to, to help people move out with new tools to awaken themselves to their creativity. And, you know, I, I think it's a, I, I don't know if we've got enough, um, you know, I haven't done the math, but <laughs> all the stories that I see and hear about, all these little stories of miniature communities transforming, just tell us that if we got enough communities to do that for themselves in their way, um, it's going to reach critical mass. You know, it's going to hit that hundredth monkey. And mm. I don't think we're going to need to reach everybody. I just think we need to reach a percentage of people who who really want to do something new and different and connective and exciting and nurturing and regenerative for the earth and for themselves. And, you know, that's, that's pretty much how I see it. Mm, Yeah. Beautiful and exciting. And, and absolutely. That's my experience too. In some ways I keep having these conversations with people that who are saying it feels like everything's speeding up, you know, because we, we who are open to connection and open to finding ways to help others find connection are seeing opportunities come at us at a rate that we we sort of can't keep up with. It's it's exciting and it's sometimes overwhelming. And there is a sense of, um, you know, there's a need for this to happen now. So there's that urgency, but there's also, you know, the, the longing and the desire from people who have now been... Um, who've had that pattern disruption and who are now wanting to, you know, experience uh, one of the things that I've, I've, I've learned is that people are wanting to experience this um, sense of what a rite of passage is, you know, what, what, how can I step into my life and live fully? And what are the ways that I can get to some wisdom around that? And, um, you know, I've, become part of a group of people who are looking to build capacity around the country, around the UK um, at the moment, wanting to hold fire quests and nature quests and giving that opportunity for people to have very simple but um, quite deep and transformational um, experiences to support people in stepping into their lives rather than sitting on the sidelines. What does it mean, you know, to, to... um, take control of that life that I feel like I'm living until I retire rather than doing that what do I really want 
what can I, how can I be of service to the world? How can I be of service to my community and live in a good way that makes me feel nourished and um, like I'm contributing right now? Um, so it's really exciting to hear about the the the, the cultural emergence um, alongside that, and people really intentionally looking at designing life in a different way. Um, I have a quick question you, for you, Leona. Sure. So these fire quests um, have have they managed to reach Claudia? Yes, uh, Claudia is part of our um, part of the group that I was in before. Yes. Okay. So. Look at the influence you're having. This is so interesting. It David, her partner, did mm-hmm. a fire quest a, a, about a month ago or so. I was there. Yeah. And you were there. Okay, so he's at his fire quest, and he has this whole memory while he's sitting by the fire of saying, wait, now I remember John saying that the art of mentoring was designed so that when people felt a full village and felt all this connection possibility, they would go away from that and then feel how much it's missing in their everyday life. And he said, wow, you know what? You know, there's nature deficit disorder, he said, right? And he, mm-hmm. he, called, he mm-hmm. left me a WhatsApp message with this whole realization he had at his fire quest. Mm-hmm. Maybe we need a word like culture deficit disorder, you know, or connection <laughs> deficit disorder. Like, the, where did my community let me down as a, as a child? Where did my peers let me down? You know, I never had an elder. I never had a mentor. I didn't have good role models. And he identified all of these ways in which modern life did not fulfill the promise of connection that the nervous system longed for. And he, mm-hmm. and, and it, we spent three weeks in our cultural facilitation design group talking about what David received at, at that fire quest. Wow. And that's what I mean by like creativity. You know, you, you're out there doing this and look, it's come back to me and affected my life and affected my work directly. You know, mm. this is how it is. We don't even know all the little things that are happening because we are motivated to follow our creativity. So mm-hmm. thank you for doing that because it had a tremendous influence on, on a whole bunch of us and my research, wow. you know, I love mm. that. <laughs> I love that too. How beautiful. How and and how amazing, you know, this is what it feels. This this is what you've just done linking is is happening all the time and I'm I'm loving seeing these little webs of connection. It's like mycelium around around the planet joining up and forming and connecting and and as you say ha- having influences that we just have no idea where it's going to go. But actually it's through doing things that we know through our own embodied experience have worked, have worked for us and have worked for generations past. And we're just reigniting them into a culture now so that we can hopefully find, create, bring about more connected young future beings in the world. It's very exciting. Very exciting. I mean, you're, you're looking at cultural emergence right here. You're a living example of Leona, <laughs> you know, like I had no idea your relationship to all that. Right. Mm-hmm. But that is mm-hmm. cultural emergence. That's, you know, that's a story of it right there. That's so beautiful. Mm-hmm. Mm, yeah. And, it, you know, and it links to my own story. I did my first fire quest um, years ago and um, I came back from that fire quest in the morning as the sunrise and my, my last ember um, dropped away. I, I had this a sense of just immense 
uh, gratitude for the world, for life. Uh, it was something the words just aren't enough, you know, it, it took over. And then it was swiftly followed by this immense grief um, as I walked back to the community who'd been holding the community fire all night and they were waiting for us, Questus, to come back as the sun rose and singing for us. They'd been singing through the night and they were singing, welcoming, welcoming us home and just such a sense of grief for all those who may never experience that or who have never because of the disconnect of our culture and that sent me on a journey of uh, grief tending and you know looking at the work of Francis Weller one of his five gates of grief are um, grieving for something that we expected but never received you know and that's what I think this um, knowing that there should be more to a community which there should be more around us um, we have an embodied knowledge of it, a historical um, wisdom within our bodies, but we're not getting it now. And that's what's waking people up, I think. So it's, it's very beautiful um, to see it happening live here. Um, yeah, lovely <laughs> for everybody listening. <laughs> yeah, thank you. So um, so I'm aware of honouring your time and commitment that you've given for this podcast, but I'd love to hear just a little bit more about the details of the, the SEED, um, the Cultural Emergence course and what, what, what it's all about and what's actually, um, you know, um, how people can get involved and, and uh, if they're interested and what else there is for people to do if they want to... Um, bring these types of connection more into their life yeah I'd like to um share about that and also going back to your question of is there enough of us and I think of emergence as this unexpected quality that comes about or this material thing and one of the examples of emergence is a cake and you put all the you know the ingredients of flour and butter and eggs and you would never guess that all of those things when you put them in the oven make this amazing cake but one of the smallest ingredients is the baking powder but it has the most impact it's mm. right it literally gives rise to the cake and when we think of ourselves as maybe we're not the flour or the sugar of the cake or the eggs maybe we are the baking powder we're small but our contribution can have a non-linear effect you know it can have more of an effect than we think and it might be very non-linear and when we enter into a design process with the design web that can lead to non-linear results we can when we make a commitment to observing to questioning to designing whatever that is whether um you know john last time we did the seed course he was uh, uh designing about clearing out his garage um you know so w- it can be something quite small and contained or it can be something much bigger about, um, you know, your eldest daughter moving house or transitioning from uh, into a new job or, you know, something a lot bigger. Um, whatever it is, it, those ripples start activating your creativity being proactive in the world being responsible being aware and then they can 
have these non-linear amazing outcomes which is what we've seen and when we do the seed course we create this container of of connection between everyone so that we're all on this journey of designing and learning about ourselves as designers and that can be very empowering so everyone does their own design and is focused on their own design but collectively there is a field of encouragement that we create that is really powerful to be a part of so the next um, seed course that we do, which is cultural emergence effective design, uh, is starting on the twenty um, fifth of October, and uh, we'll put a, a link in. But if you go to the website cultural-emergence.com, you can find the latest courses and. Um, and if you've missed the next seed one, there'll be another one coming along um, next year as well. So John and I seem to enjoy being in Zoom calls together. So, um, yeah, thanks. Yeah, thank you. And it's amazing that, you know, as much as I hate staring at screens and sitting in front of computers, as you said before, John, it has opened up a whole world of of possibility in terms of connecting with people from different backgrounds, different parts of the world and and different ways of thinking. And so it sounds like it's a a, a veritable melting pot of mm. of interesting ideas and and um, opportunities, I suppose, for for thinking differently and 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 then taking it back into your own life. Yeah, you know, I, it's it's been truly that, you know, I, a melting pot, it, it's, it's, it's like a very dynamic one though, because as you said, people from all over the world in the seed course are all inspiring each other with these design ideas. And Luby and I always do a design and we, you know, we start a couple of weeks ahead of everybody else so that we're talking about the synergies and excitements and synchronicities of our design, you know, and, and role modeling, you know, effective design ourselves uh, and inspiring others. Like, you know, our job is to design and have really a lot of fun doing it and pulling all this creativity through and then sparking that magic in everyone else. And pretty soon they're all sparking back to us, you know, and I get more and more excited about cleaning my garage (laughs) (laughs) and you should see it. It's really cool. People come over like this. My friend, Ed neighbor, he came over, he said, wow, this is a really organized garage. This is very interesting. <laughs> I'll have to tell Ed about the seed course because he'll he'll he could use it. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, and it is often the small things, isn't it, that actually have the biggest impact. And sometimes we overlook them for thinking that we need to do these these great things. But I think, as we've mentioned numerous times throughout this 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 call already, it's. It's not rocket science, but we do have to do it intentionally. So, um, yeah, setting about having a a sense of the feeling that we want to experience, you know, in a good way and not having that hold us back because it's what we don't have, but but feeling empowered um, and being able to bring elements of that into our our lives as they are right now is, is I think one of the most powerful things that we can all be doing. So um, thank you so much. And I guess, uh, I guess, is there anything else final that you would like to send us away with before we finish this call? I I would love to just share that, you know, Luby was um, pretty clear with us when I met you, Luby, in 2016, that when you're working on a design using DesignWeb, you don't want to call 
your design cleaning the garage, right? Because it doesn't feel very enticing. And, you know, to be honest, I'd spend six months looking at this messy garage that you couldn't even walk in. Um, and, you know, set your intention and name your design in a bigger way, you know? So for me, I came up with activating flow hmm. because I wanted there to be more flow in my life because having, you know, months and months of COVID, you know, whatever you want to call that, the inertia of sitting still, right? Like I didn't feel like I remembered how to be in flow and I really needed help activating flow. So I dedicated that design activating flow to not just clearing the garage and making it a usable space, um, but a beautiful space. And also that it would activate flow in the rest of my life. And I can look back and say now that, wow, you know, I'm like, I have, I'm teaching so many classes right now. I mean, I, I activated flow. I might've overactivated, <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, but I'm really, really grateful for that, you know, because I couldn't see that coming. You know, I was in my own way, all my own blind spots. I'm deep in my own track, in my own ruts, as we all are, you know, and we really need each other to lift ourselves out, you know, so anything we can do to help inspire one another and, you know, this you know, cooperative, collaborative spirit of creativity is really one of the most powerful forces uh, on the earth. And it's definitely what's going to save the day if anything does. So that's what I would like to say. Mm. Yeah, and I'd, I'd like to just end with um, just this sense of possibility and hope that we can all tap into at, at any time. We can choose what media we look at. We can choose whether we go and look at the vastness of the sky and the stars and to gain a bigger time perspective we can look at what we can do ourselves personally what difference can we make to people's lives today whether it's just smiling at strangers in the street um, not so easy with masks on I know but um, you know what is it that we can do that just in small ways helps us to show up that then also helps others to connect and to um, feel their hope and possibility as well. And that if we do that, no matter what age we are, no matter what our background is, we have these possibilities to make a difference in our own lives and in other people's lives. And if we can remember that, I think that will go a long way in us being proactive and the change we need in the world mm, thank you thank you thank you both and before before you go I wondered um I just as we were speaking looked um sneaky lily looked at the eight shields um website and I've noticed that there is um a post saying that eight shields has taken a break so for people who are interested in the eight shields as well as the cultural emergence um courses um I wondered John, if you could just speak to a little bit about what's going on with the Eight Shields generally and what can we look forward to? Is that something that you can speak to now or is that, uh, is that watch this space? Uh, yeah, I think just watch the space. You know, the, the board is working on a whole new kind of way of, of expressing this into the world, essentially. Um, you know, I'm peripherally involved. Um, I handed it off back in 2019 um, before COVID hit actually. And um, 
I was, um, yeah, no, I'm interested in, in what they're looking at. And, uh, you know, they're, they're basically looking at the whole, the whole question about, uh, cultural appropriateness mm-hmm. in a sense, um, you know, and making sure that the H shields, whatever you want to call that, you know, the brand, I don't, you know, none of us are comfortable with that kind of thinking, right? Because that sort of comes from sort of a more hierarchical commercial sort of way of looking at things. But, you know, to basically empower regions around the world to take on that that network for their country, you know, like is happening in the UK, mm. like it's happening in Australia and, and New Zealand and, um, and Germany, German-speaking countries, you know, um, because it needs to land and have its identity within the local history and the local region and the local stories. Right. And what happens in Canada is different than what happens in the U S you know, and there's just a lot of things that are going into it and there's some really deep thought happening. Mm. Um, but you know, some really good people with loads and loads of experience are, are looking at it and, you know, taking their time because, Mm. you know, you need to do it well. And I'm really supportive of what's happening, but yeah, if you want to stay in touch um, you know, I'm at uh, johnyoung.org, J-O-N-Y-O-U-N-G.org, and Luby, I think you've already told them how to be in touch with you. I um, I've I will put all of the links to Luby and and yours, John, um, and to the Cultural Legends website on the sh- end of the show notes, so everything will be um, accessible for people who are interested in finding out more and. Um, yeah, and thanks for speaking to that, John. It was a bit of a, a last-minute side there, but it just felt interesting to me, given that we we're talking about pattern disruption and um, you know, and cultural emergence, and 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 and, and thinking about how the organisation has sort of taken time to actually reflect and and look at what they're doing, so that it's been done in a good way. So, um, yeah, it's good to hear there there are things afoot and things happening around the world. So yeah. Um, Thank you both for a really inspiring, interesting and amazing conversation. And um, I look forward to hearing more in the future. Go well. Wonderful. Thank you so much, Leona. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast. I hope it inspires you to follow your path of deep connection. I love sharing this information so much. And I'll always share any relevant links in my show notes. If you like the show, please consider supporting it at patreon.com forward slash connection letters podcast. This is where you'll find bonus episodes, giveaways and behind the scenes content from me, as well as having my huge heartfelt thanks for any support that you can give me. It really helps with the viability of the show. You can get most of what will be on offer for as little as £3 per month. Please also subscribe on whatever app you use by clicking that little subscribe button below. That way you'll get all of the upcoming episodes straight into your device. And please leave a review on iTunes. It's so helpful to our ratings. The music that opens and closes the show is actually by my very own dad, Ray Johnson. Thanks, Dad. And you can hear more of his music at soundcloud.com forward slash visionray.